Steel products, they are simply the best for any project you may have outdoors. S-T-I-H-L. Love the battery-powered products. I have a garage full of them, whether it's blowers or chainsaws, small chainsaws, mid-sized chainsaws, or large industrial chainsaws. I've told you this through the years. I'll be out running, and I'll see workers uh, on the street uh, pruning trees, uh, doing work, and they all have steel products because the pros use them. Therefore, you know that us amateurs should use them as well. S-T-I-H-L. Go to steeldealers.com to find the one nearest you, and there's more than 10,000 around the country, so I guarantee you there's a steel dealer around the corner from you. Or if you want to see all their products, you can see the link there, or it's steel, S-T-I-H-L-U-S-A.com, and you will be, as I like to say as well, blown away by how many different products they have that are going to make your yard your world that much better. Go check them out at Steel, S-T-I-H-L. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, portions of a conversation from the club on AT&T Sportsnet Rocky Mountain, sharing some memories with Jason Jennings. The first batter I ever faced in the big leagues was Matt Lawton, and he smokes a ball down the right field line. Larry Walker's playing right field. Larry picks it up barehanded, throws a BB to shortstop, and they tag out Matt Lawton, trying to stretch a single into a double. Brad Hop. Really, what I think back on is like, how did I get to the point where when I hit that, I knew it was gone, and that just felt like that was what I was supposed to do. And a no-hitter in Atlanta. By Ubaldo Jimenez. Then when we got the last time of the game, I was like, is this really happening? I mean, it's every pitcher's dream. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, folks. Coming to you from Houston, Texas, deep in the heart of Texas. And welcome to show number 209. Glad as always that you are along. And last Thursday, made my way along with Jeff Hewson and several other TV folks and literally about 2,000 people to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to Driller Stadium, the home of the uh, AA ball club in Tulsa, for my buddy and your buddy as well, his celebration of life, George Frazier. And my, a smile comes to my face, and I, and I told you when George passed, what a great legacy to have that even though he died way too young at 68, that when you think about someone and you smile and you laugh out loud, that's a great legacy. And we were able to do that again amidst tears also, naturally, uh, listening to videos from close friends and Listening to all four of his children eloquently and from the heart tell stories about their dad and the influence he had on their lives, and they were all wonderful. I mean, just wonderful. It started out with the youngest, Georgia, who finished uh, 10th in the Miss America pageant several years back, and has three little ones and just talking about her dad and and all that he meant to her as a girl dad and then on to Parker who pitched a long time professionally uh, many of those years in the Rockies organization and has gotten into coaching and he's just a, a great young man and then on to Brian who's an executive 
with Walmart, and his son is heading off to Austin P to pitch, and George has worked with him a ton. And then uh, on to Matt, who is his oldest, and again, they all smoke from the heart, and at times, naturally, uh, emotional. But it was uh, it was great to share those memories with so many close people to George, and to give you an idea of the impact, not only a couple thousand people at the ballpark, um, but a number of uh, Rockies that played when George was broadcasting. Guys like Todd Helton, guys like Brad Hopp, guys like Aaron Cook, uh, guys like Matt Belisle, who I hadn't seen in a few years. Matt looks great. All these guys, by the way, look like they could uh, still play. Jeff Francis, who now you know is back home in his native Canada. Uh, he drove... Uh, from Ontario a couple hours to Detroit and then flew in from Detroit. He wanted to be there because they had a great influence. They were they were a great, uh, he was a great friend and a great influence on their careers. So it was a special night Thursday in Tulsa. And uh, as we get rolling with this podcast, I'll tell you a story. I'm going to break these out periodically because it's going to be my tribute um, to George. One of them that popped into my mind recently because a couple guys got hit in a game for the Rockies. And when George was pitching for the Yankees, he was in Boston with the team and he hit Carl Yastrzemski with a fastball and he squared him up right in the ribs. Yaz glared at him and went to first. Well, fast forward to the next day. During batting practice, what do relief pitchers do? They hang out and shag in the outfield. And George is hanging out, talking to a teammate out in the outfield at Fenway. And all of a sudden, now the Yankees are taking batting practice. This does not involve Boston. But Carl Yastrzemski of Boston is now walking out in the direction of George. And he notices when he's still about 150 feet away, and now he's about 100 feet away, and he tells whoever uh, his teammate was, he goes, hey, get ready. You may have to help me out here. I think Yaz is coming out to kick my ass. So, again, now some other guys are all watching. Here's the great future Hall of Famer, Carl Yastrzemski, striding out to where Frazier's standing. And he gets out to within about two feet of him, and he says, hey, and he and George looks at him and he pulls up his shirt and he turns around to show on his rib cage a huge black and blue mark. And he pulls the shirt down, glares at Frazier, and he says, next time hit me in the ass and walks back toward the Red Sox dugout. <laughs> Frazier goes, Oof, dodge one there. But that was the uh, that was the great Carl Yastrzemski coming out. Just want to make a point. He said, "Hey, if you're going to hit me next time, hit me in the ass." That was classic. On to the Rockies. I got a little. I don't want to say a Twitter spat because I don't generally engage. I will tell you that there are a lot of times I want to engage folks on Twitter, but my kids, who I guess are more mature than me, at least some of the time talk me out of it. Say, nope, don't go there, don't go there, don't engage. And so generally speaking, I don't. But I thought good-naturedly I would give one fan 
a hard time. And I want to, before I tell this story, I want to acknowledge the hardcore Rockies fans that even in this dismal year, even over the last few years, which have been tough, they hang in there. And you have a right as a fan to bitch. You do. It means you care. There's nothing worse than ambivalence. And there's nothing worse than, I guess, fans that, that have moved on and could care less anymore. And that that's a shame. It happens with every team in sports when they go through you know, a dark period. You're frustrated. And you have a right, if you are frustrated, to vent. So I I want to acknowledge that, and I want to say I get it 100%. Because in what we do as broadcasters, and we're, you know, spend our lives around the team, nobody wants to see the Rockies win more than I do. Nobody wants to see the Rockies win more than Ryan Spielborgs and Jeff Houston and Corey Sullivan and Jenny and our whole crew, um, you know, short of the players and and the coaching staff and, and, and ownership. Well, I want to see them do well, and the fans naturally do, so I get it. And again, you have a right to be pissed off, and I and I appreciate that. And now it comes down to, you know, doing the things to make the Rockies better. And I'll get to that uh, in a second. But uh, so here's how I got in this Twitter spat. Some fan um, was getting after Buddy, Buddy Black, and said he needs to go. Buddy needs to go. He's not even developing a young player like Nolan Jones. He's burying Nolan Jones. He hasn't played the last two days. And he's talking about Saturday and Sunday at home against the Tigers. And I had mentioned this on the broadcast a couple of times, and, and not that people are going to hang on every word I say or maybe even saw this, but Nolan Jones wasn't with the club Saturday and Sunday because his brother, who's a professional hockey player, was getting married. And the reason I point out that he's a professional hockey player, if he wanted to do his brother, his younger brother, a solid and not get married during the baseball season, he probably would have done that. But he couldn't because the winter months, the fall and winter months, it's his season. So he had to get married um, during the baseball season. Well, that's a once in a lifetime, hopefully, right? (laughs) Hopefully, situation. And his younger brother, Nolan, is going to be his best man, Peyton's best man. So he's going to be there. He asked the Rockies over a month prior if he could go. And the Rockies said, by all means, you can go. And so he was gone Saturday, and the wedding's in, in Buffalo, New York, and it's Saturday night. He couldn't get back in time for the game Sunday. So he met the club back in Houston, was back in the starting lineup. But he's been playing Nolan Jones, who's been terrific. We had him on as a guest last week, in fact, as as those regular followers of the podcast know. And Buddy plays him every day, virtually every day. And he's one of the the pieces that the Rockies want to see continue to grow because hopefully he's part of the the answer, the solution to get the Rockies back to being a winning club and, and a playoff caliber uh, club. So I, I got after that fan. I said, I didn't say do your homework, but I guess the tweet kind of shouted, do your homework. And a little bit more on on Buddy. And this is not just, oh, yeah, of course you're defending Buddy because you're with him every day and he works for the Rockies. You're not going to criticize him. Buddy's a hell of a manager. Buddy's a hell of a leader. He's a hell of a communicator. Let me explain this in the simplest terms possible. And it, on, on one hand, what I'm about to say doesn't sound supportive of the people 
who manage at the major league level, or maybe even people who coach in general. But specific to baseball, does the manager make a difference? Yeah. You need to be the guy that I just described Buddy is. Great communicator, positive every day, brings optimism after a series of losses, and is respected in the clubhouse. And Buddy checks off all of those boxes. And we've seen Buddy be successful, 17 and 18, with the Rockies. Back in 07 with the Padres, when they reached the uh, Game 163 against Colorado. Do you know what the common denominator is? They had talent that was playoff caliber throughout the roster. Not a smattering of talent, not a star player here, and then a lot of mediocrity. And right now, and this is not throwing the Rockies under the bus, they don't have enough talent. The Rockies front office knows they don't have enough talent to win. So to suggest that if there was another manager, I always say this, like Tony La Russa, who's, you know, he's now retired, but generally regarded as a Hall of Fame manager, a, a guy that um, won a ton of games. We know that. I'm down here in Houston right now, taping the show. In the other dugout is is Buddy's former manager. His last two years playing ball in San Francisco, his manager was he was a younger Dusty Baker. Dusty's going to go to the Hall of Fame as a manager, and he should. He's managed five teams, five different teams to the postseason, finally got over the finish line last year with Houston. Dusty will tell you, you got to have talent. Baseball, you can't magically X and O your way to a win. The Rockies starting staff right now, and been decimated some by injuries, but you got to have more depth, so it's not an excuse. Their starting staff has a six and a half ERA. As we speak, it's the second highest starting rotation ERA in the history of Major League Baseball since they started keeping that stat in 1911 and 1912. First, 1911 for the National League, 1912 the next year for the American League. They don't have enough talent, and they're working on that. And the way you work on that is through the draft, through international signing, all, all the subjects we've hit on before, they have some guys coming in the minor leagues that get you excited. They need more pitching. They need to acquire more pitching. They need to acquire more talent in general, even at the minor league level. It's not about plugging guys in to the big leagues right now. And the way that you do that, in addition to the aforementioned avenues, is through trading some assets or or older players that may have value to a contending team. And I think you'll see some of that in the coming days as you lead up to the August 1st trade deadline. And they've already started that, if you think about it, in trading Mike Moustakis last week to the Angels for a pitching prospect. They understand that they need to transition to not only a a younger roster, but uh, a younger, more talented group to grow with the guys they already have in the minor leagues. But it all comes back to the criticism of Buddy, and it's it's not, that's not the answer. Not at all. Because you give Buddy talent, you give him enough talent, whether it's young, whether it's older, whether it's somewhere in between, He'll win because he's a leader and he's well-respected. But 
I also appreciate how passionate fans are. And they 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 don't want to watch a team that's 20 plus games under 500. They want they want to see different. They want to see progress. Well, progress in baseball oftentimes takes time. And as frustrating as that is, that's where they are right now, but they know that. But trust me, Buddy Buddy Black, he can be a big part of the solution. He's not part uh, of the issue at all. So I wanted to uh, to point that out. And you know, I did it delicately. My kids were you know happy with me. I didn't didn't go down the rabbit hole. So there you go. I had an opportunity a few weeks ago to catch up. Um, did it on television actually for. Our show on AT&T Sportsnet, which is fabulously produced by uh, Buddy Ryan Morrison, he's done this for years. And you know, if you're if you're a baseball fan, if you're a Rockies fan in particular, you got to catch the club every every Sunday on AT&T Sportsnet. It, it's so well done. And we did a, a long form interview with three former Rockies, as as the Rockies have done a nice job this year bringing back some of their. Um, stars from yesteryear celebrating this 30th anniversary season. Actually, 31st year, but 30th anniversary of the Rockies coming to be. And I sat down with Ubaldo Jimenez, who had one of the greatest first halves in the history of starting pitching in 2010 uh, for the Rockies. Jason Jennings, who is the only Rocky to win the Rookie of the Year award, former Baylor Bear. And Brad Hopp, who was an all-star and a steady, steady player in the middle of the Rockies lineup for a number of years, including that 07 World Series team. So we sat down, did a roundtable on the show called The Club, and uh, we clipped off uh, a good portion of that conversation for you all to hear on the podcast this week. So sit back and enjoy three former terrific Rockies, Ubaldo Jimenez, Jason Jennings, and Brad Hopp. Is it neat to be back here as, you know, former players? I mean, Ubaldo, you were here just a few years ago, but is it is it still cool to come back? It is. It is wonderful to be back. Like last night after the game, I was walking uh, by the street, and a lot of people just came to me, and they were crazy. They were like, Ubaldo, oh my God. So it feels great just to be around the fans because, uh, I mean, I play in three different places, and... The fans in Colorado are the best. It doesn't matter how you put it. When you come back here, I mean, those people are going to be rooting for their players. It doesn't matter how things are going. So it, it is great. Is that a cool experience, what Ubaldo is saying, when you come back and, you, and you're like, wow, people still remember, you know. And I, I know you don't want to necessarily define yourself by the fact that you were a baseball player, but the fact that people still remember, that's neat, isn't it? Well, I think so. For me, because whenever I go back home, um, just Brad or dad or, right. you know, coach or whatever for the high school teams and stuff, you know, so far removed from basically what we did on the field out here that uh, I, we came to the all-star game here a couple of years ago. I brought the family um, and we're sitting out here watching the game and Avery goes, you did that? And I was like, yeah, how did I do that? How, how was I on that field right there? Like if, yeah. I, before, I was always like, "Oh yeah, that was it." And then I saw it again. I'm like, different. Yeah, yeah, different. Everybody has a track to 
you guys were fortunate enough to be the select few to play at, at this level and play as well as all of you did. Ubaldo, you know, your your track was different. You were, I assume you were 16, is that right? When 17. You were, 17. 17 when you yeah. signed? When you were 17, did you, could you even imagine the United States and, and the big league field, or, or did you always allow yourself to dream big? Uh, I mean... When I signed, I was I, I was just happy because I was doing what I love, and then I got paid. I came from a poor family, living in a poor neighborhood, so the first thing in my mind was I, I got a signing bonus. I was able to provide my family a better life at that time with that kind of money. I didn't get a lot of money, but uh, but I was always like I I mean I had to make it. Uh, there's a family waiting for me, so. I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything possible to just to make my dream come true, um, and then it was it was great. 2010 April, I'll never forget it as a broadcaster. The no-no against Atlanta. What's the first thing you remember about that night? Uh, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, uh, when I got to the game, I didn't I didn't see anything. Out of the out of the ordinary, it was gonna happen. So, but when then when we got the last time of the game, I was like, "Is this really happening?" I mean, it was. It's every every pitcher's dream just to be able to be out there for nine innings and throw a no hitter. So it doesn't matter if you get it uh, playing the little league, uh, the minors. It is it is huge. Yeah. When you first saw him throw the baseball, did you say? You know, I mean, again, a fellow pitcher, and, and you were really good at your craft, a little different kind of repertoire. When you first saw him, what was your uh, initial reaction? I think the first word that pops to mind is just electric. I mean, he had an electric arm, uh, just jumped out of his hand. His, his breaking ball was violent. I mean, just nothing was, um, nothing was casual. It was, it was coming at you, um, high velocity, high spin rates. So um, just a guy that you know, being a young guy and me kind of had already been there for a little bit, a guy that I knew had a chance just because pure stuff wise. And, you know, we all, every day you come to the yard, you, you learn a little something new. You watch film, um, you watch other pitchers pitch. Um, I remember some of the guys I watched, you know, as an opposing pitcher, uh, the late Roy Halliday, just learning stuff from guys like that. Um, so just, you know, we, I knew he was going to, continue to develop and learn and um i knew he had the hard the hard part is just the pure stuff and you get up here and you learn from the best and you know he's he's a proof of that were you nervous in right field by the way you had i I don't know if you remember this you had three knocks that night you had a nice ball game also i don't remember all the games but i remember that game yeah and you you put them wrong i was gonna say that I like the game. I'm like, I'm not catching anything. <laughs> like, this is all yours. I'm like, oh man. I remember you were in second base and they got a hit, and you were to, you know, when you were run, trying to score, but you were like so slow. I'm like, I need that run. problem going at the time. I'm like, this is not good right now. Do you know that's that's wild? I didn't. I I forgot that in the sixth inning, you started going from the stretch. Because your command was a little bit off. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, was that your sole decision or was that a conversation? It was a conversation with Bob Aparaka. Okay. Uh, in the first five innings from, uh, from the windup, I couldn't throw a strike. I was like, every time I face the hitter, I, I just walk in. Right. So in the fifth inning, Aparaka came to me and he was like, well, you throw a strike every time you have running on base. 
why don't you try from the stretch? I was like, what? Starting from the stretch? I've never done that. I mean, I've been a starting pitcher my whole life, my whole career. But I was like, I mean, I got nothing to lose. So I, I'm going to try it. Yeah. And it worked. Yeah. So Bob was the guy who told me to do that. So. Right. <laughs> so you were praying the ball's not hit to Yes. You. Yeah. yeah I, I don't remember. Was it Cargo that was in left field at that yeah, time? Because I think he had made a great catch that night, I, too. I was going to say, I think he had something going on, too. So, I mean, it was right. Dexter. <laughs> you got <laughs> this. Yes. That, that was wild. You know what, for me also, when you, special games, and I, I'll never forget, I grew up in New York and grew up a Mets fan, and you make your debut at Shea Stadium. And I'm not exactly a baseball historian, but doing what I do, I feel like I have a decent knowledge of stuff that's taken place in this great game. It'd be hard-pressed to have a better debut in the history of the game than the one you had. Does it... Does it feel that way now when you reflect back many yeah, years I mean, later? As you get older, and you, like Brad said, you're away from the game for a while. You reflect back on certain things. And um, I think even the fact that starting pitching is just different these days. How many times they actually go nine innings? Um, even if you're rolling, you know, it's just not, it's not the same game. So, um, but I'll never remember, I mean, I'll never forget. Buddy Bell asked me, you know, how do you feel? What was your highest pitch count in AAA? And I was still at a, at a good number. I was a little over 100. And um, he's like, all right, you got it. So, yeah, the thing I remember most about that night, honestly, besides the hour rain delay where I was literally at butterflies, I was going crazy in the clubhouse. But the first batter I ever faced in the big leagues was Matt Lawton. And he smokes a ball down the right field line, you know, all the way from Little League to Triple A. That's a double. Well, Larry Walker's playing right field. So Larry picks it up barehanded, throws a BB to shortstop, Juan Uribe, and they tag out Matt Lawton trying to stretch a single into a double. So from that point on, it really just helped me relax. I was like, these guys are really good. These are the best, best defenders on earth. Um, just throw strikes, let them do their thing. And just that, you know, that really, really helped me relax just as a brand new guy in this league. Yeah. And the, and the other thing that I remember when you were drafted number one is that you were one of the premier or maybe the premier two-way player in college baseball at Baylor. You could really swing it. And here you are making your major league debut. And as you know now, and Brad, who was a really good pitcher coming up also, that when you're out here, no matter how good you were swinging the bat in college or high school, this is a different deal. And for you to hit a home run in in your debut, what do you remember about that and and thinking when you got it, I'm sure you felt like you got it pretty good. Take us through that. Um, What I remember is we were up nine to nothing. It's the top of the ninth. I'm leading off. And um, I think they had barely gotten back from commercial break. And Toby Hara was the bench coach at the time. Like uh, I think it was Donnie Wall pitching. And he said, you know, this guy doesn't have anything you haven't seen. He's like, just sit first pitch fastball and and let it rip. And there was no pressure at that point. And we were up nine nothing. I had already I was hoping for you know six seven innings, couple three runs, and just kind of get out of there with a solid debut. Um, it already had two hits up to that point, so this was icing on the cake. Whatever happened, and I I took his advice. And you know Donnie Walls like let's just get this game over with. So it's fastball right down the middle, and I just you know swung. In my whole life, I, if I hit a single, it was an accident. I was not trying to hit singles, so I swung as hard as I could on every swing pretty much and um just happened to connect on that one yeah 
Are you bummed you never got to pitch in a big league game? You see guys now, if there's a blowout either way, guys get on the mound in the you know eighth, ninth inning. I'm probably not as upset as Corey Sullivan. To <laughs> 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 right? be honest, uh, you know, actually using his name, he and I probably from. A ball all the way until we stopped playing, played catch together every single day, right? Like we were playing, we were catch partners. And so for, what is that, 10 years, we're sitting there throwing each other our change-ups and curveballs and knuckleballs and throwing little black ground bullpens um, all the time. So we practiced it all the time. We were ready. I'm so actually surprised that, you know, not to talk about the game of baseball today, but I'm actually surprised that that's not going to be implemented at some point in the minor leagues in that way. Yeah. Because there, Adam LaRoche was a guy that was a friend of mine that we used to play against a bunch. He was a he actually pitched in some minor league games um, when we were in A ball. So, but like you said, I mean, everybody. I mean, that's was the best pitcher and hitter and yeah, you whatever. Were the best, uh, by the way, real quick, Shohei Otani. When you think, it, I'll start with you, Baldo. When you watch what this guy does. What's your reaction? He's an alien, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy is out of the out of this world. I mean, right? I mean, it's not easy to pitch, and he's one of the best. And he's one of the best hitters, too. So It's crazy. He also is one of the fastest guys. Like, if you lined up everybody in baseball, yeah. he's one of the fastest guys yeah. in baseball. Yeah, it's Willie Tavares running, him pitching. Right. Who, <laughs> yeah. Matt Holiday at the plate. Yeah. I mean, that, you all the same guy. Those three guys. Yeah. Is that, is that <laughs> freaky for you? I think it's more like... You know, because I think fresh out of college, I still had, like, my skill to be a hitter. Sure. But if you don't practice that craft every day, um, it's like a golfer hitting, you know, chip okay. shots every day. You tend to lose it over the years. And I think later in my career, it got harder and harder and harder to, you know, be as good as I, of a hitter as I was in college. But because I didn't put in the same amount of time as a hitter, I mean, we'd take pitchers BP, but all we're trying to do is hit bombs. You know, we're not working on our swing. Yeah. Uh, so I think... The fact that I don't know if he puts in equal amount of time with both his crafts, but he's the best at both, which is is really impressive it, to me. It, it's real. It really is remarkable. When I learned that we were all going to be able to get together today, it's funny because I barely can remember the score last night. The way my brain works, um, you know, I study and get ready for tonight's game, and, and I let it go. And the reason I'm bringing that up is that with each one of you. There was one game in your career that stood out. We talked about your debut, and you had a ton of great games after that. You were Rookie of the Year, the only Rockies Rookie of the Year. You had a heck of a career, obviously, way beyond uh, you know that one night in Atlanta, Georgia. In fact, the whole first half of that 2010 season, every game you took the mound, I thought you could throw a no-hitter if the planets aligned. That's how good you, know, you were. Brad, I, as many great nights as you had, and I thought you were going to be MVP, by the way, of an all-star game. If, who went over the Carl line? Crawford, opposite field. Who robs an opposite field homer? I know. You were going to be MVP. Tell your kids I would have, could have, should have. But I always think of, and we've talked about this, the one game for me, and I don't know what you did before this, but on the great run in 07, it was still fairly early on. You know where I'm going. In San Diego, the Marine Air comes in. You guys played there. You can't you can stand at second base as strong as Brad is, and no one hits the ball out anymore, right? And Brad goes opposite field, no doubter, in the 14th inning. What do you remember about that? I, you know, we, talk, we just talked about thinking about back on, like, how did I do this or that. Right. Really, what I think back on is, like, 
how did I get to the point where when I hit that, I knew it was gone and that just felt like that was what I was supposed to do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. I hit it, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's gone. Right. Like, that's what oh, was by it. the way, Joe Thatcher was on yeah, the Joe back Thatcher. who was nasty, yeah. lefty, and sidearm lefty, to, you know, mm-hmm. right? Going left center of the bullpen. Just looking back now, I mean, like if I'm talking to kids and stuff, I'm like, you don't know what goes into it that when you get in a box and something like that, you think you're supposed to do that. When you do, it's like, that's just what I was supposed to do. Um, I look back at it now and I'm like, how did I get to that point? Yeah. When you, when you talk about that run in 2007, I think you won like five games, by the way, in that, in that yeah, run. That was crazy. You know, at what point in time are you, are you going, yeah, we're going to win tonight. We won last night. We won the night before. We're going to win. I mean, it's baseball. I mean, you're playing against the best players in the world. At what point is like, doesn't matter. We're going to win tonight. Probably after we won like three straight games, like it, it was like we couldn't lose. Like we could be like losing by, I don't know, by seven, eight, ten runs. And we had that feeling that we were going to come back. Every time we, we went to the clubhouse, we knew like we were going to fight. I mean, we were going to win. That's how it felt like it was. Yeah. Yeah. We were having so much fun too, like the clubhouse afterwards. Yeah. The songs playing and the guys dancing that are doing the dances and Seth Smith and Spilly, you know, the clowns doing the funny stuff and have fun. I mean, it was just fun. So I was like, we're going to do this again tonight. I mean, we just had a lot of fun. I was downstairs literally right before I came up here. I was talking to, to Buddy Black about he was asking me about um, one of my boys who who's still playing. And, and I said, you know, there were a lot of tears because some of the guys he played with, you know, he, they're moving on, you know, it's, and I, I said, you know, for all you guys who are the best in the world at doing this and have these great moments and great careers you can reflect back on and share with your kids and, and, and guys you coach now, I said, from every one of you guys, I've always heard the thing you miss the most is what you guys are talking about, the camaraderie in the clubhouse. I mean, the games fade and, you know, the memories and, okay, there's a, you know, there's a rookie of the year. There, there's a, you know, there, there's a, I'm sure some photos of you after the no hitter, Brad, all, all of your accomplishments, but it's the camaraderie, isn't it? A hundred percent. I think, um, just the, the bus rides in the minor leagues, the, you know, the plane rides, big leagues, the hotel dinners, uh, veterans taking you out and having a nice steak dinner, just the, uh, the banter back and forth. Some of the best trash talkers I've ever been around are my teammates, but it, that was, that was part of it. I mean, that, we loved each other and just, uh, we were all part of the same goal. And I mean, crap, we saw each other more than we saw our own families. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time together. And, um, I think, you know, it's funny, even if you play against the guy and you're like, man, I don't, I don't really like the guy that the way that guy plays or sure enough, he gets traded over to you and you realize, man, this guy's a really good dude. He just plays, plays with some style. And so numerous times that would happen. So I, 99% of the guys I played with, you know, uh, I truly enjoyed being around. That's uh, that's that's one of the neat things about about sport and camaraderie. And I think what else is neat is now it's there's 30 now 31 years of history um, of the Rockies. It, I remember when they first started in '93, and, and you guys obviously were really young when they when they first started. Can you look back now and go, man, it's pretty cool that I'm part of a, a more recent franchise? It is. It is cool. I mean, as you say, like, uh, you start looking at the history of the team, like when they started, how everything went. Uh, I got to meet some of the players from that area, like Vinny Castilla, that he's still around. 
and then you like reflect on that you were part of that team too. You were like, wow, that, that is amazing. Especially when you had your kid. I mean, they got, they got probably gonna come around here and they were like, oh, that was really you because they never, they don't, I mean, they don't feel it or they don't believe it until they see it. So once they see like the fans going at you, trying to get an autograph and I was like, oh, that was my dad. That's right. cool. Yeah. So, that's that, that's pretty neat. Do you talk about you know playing at this level much, whether it's the kids you coach or your or, or your kids? Uh, not too much. Um, I, with my kids or the kids at school, coaching uh, the private school stuff, um, I really try to make it about them because sure. they're not going to. The kids aren't going to get this experience that we got for the right. most part. And if they do, great. But I'm just trying to build young men. Um, they they'll ask stories like sometimes. But not everybody's into the history of baseball, right? A lot of young kids, not all of them are into it. But every now and then, like I'll have, like we got a kid that at our high school right now that I coach who loves the history, and he'll come up and he goes, saw a video of a homer you hit off so-and-so. You know, <laughs> and like, hey, let me see it. Right. <laughs> Get back into it. So yeah. uh, I love it when we talk about it, but I try to keep it up. Yeah. yeah. There's a guy that you all played with that, fingers crossed, will join Larry Walker in the Hall of Fame next year because he's that close. And obviously I'm talking about talking about Todd, um, when somebody like myself brings up Helton, what's the first couple of things you think of, JJ? Um, the edge and the, the drive he brought to the field every day and, you know, doing what these position players do, it's not easy. I mean, 162 games in 180 days, um, you know, it's tough for me just to do it once every five days. So just seeing what he brought to the yard every day and, you know, he wasn't, a, he wasn't necessarily a raw, raw guy, but he didn't need to be. He led by example especially for us young guys. Um, so just, um, you know, I never forget a short story. He, we were at Wrigley and I was pitching. It was early, maybe 03, 04, somewhere in there. My first two innings didn't go great. Um, I was one too many walks, one too many balls, two O counts and help called time and had his own mound visit with me. And, uh, we'll say he challenged me a little bit, um, <laughs> as a young player, but I truly, honest to God, appreciated you know, I still remember that to this day because it really lit a fire. I was like, you know, come on, man, get your head, you know, right. get your stuff together. And from that point, I really became more aggressive in the zone. Um, and it just taught me a lesson. Like, you know, just you can't defend the walk and, you know, throw ball two, ball three every time. It's, it's tough to play defense. So that was the kind of guy he was. You know, he, he didn't care if he hurt my feelings, which he didn't. I didn't get my feelings hurt when stuff like that happened. But that's what he needed to do as a leader. And um, I'll never forget that. Yeah, Baldo, what do you what do you got on? Well, time? he was one of the greatest players to ever play this game. I mean, he's a guy that that he wasn't only a great hitter, but he was the best first baseman ever that you want to have him. I mean, as a pitcher, I mean, if he caught every single ball that they throw to first base, and then uh, one of the great, greatest moments that I live uh, in my career was to see him when he got the last ball. When he uh, and we went to the World Series, he raised his arm, yeah. and was uh, and that was one of the greatest moments. We were like, wow, we all did it. I mean, we were happy to, but it, we were the most happy because of him, yeah. because we know like everything that he had to go through with this organization that the, the losing seasons when they begin, and and then finally he he got to go where where he 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 was expecting to. I mean, it was great. It was one of the greatest moments. Yeah. And I get chills thinking about that because that was 
not in character for him to, yeah. to show much emotion. Well, you know this. They know this. Todd's a different cat. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the stories and stuff that nobody knows about other than like if we're fortunate enough to be his teammate, like what goes on in the clubhouse, how he's going to interact with you when you walk into our clubhouse or Troy Rink when he would walk into the clubhouse and the ownership Todd would take. But the the uh, the way he would go about it, that Troy liked it. He want like they couldn't wait to get around Todd. And that's what a lot of people don't see, like when he's on the field, because he's stoic and he's um, you know, he's a rock and he's hardworking and he's not talking to the base runner when the base runner gets on. You know, he's you know, he's not that guy. But you get around the clubhouse and I mean he's quick, he's witty, he's sharp. Um, you know, one thing that I always like to tell people is like, you know, we weren't groomed in life to sit here and talk like this, right? We I, I hadn't taken a class. I don't know if they taken a class. But for me, watching Todd do it all those years yeah. made it different for us. He hated, as you know, he hated doing the formal interview, but some of the, you guys have a million the stories. I just like when, you know, Preston Wilson's looking for his pants and Preston had like three hits the night before. Todd had taken his pants and put them on. He was going to wear them that day. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but I mean, he was yeah. doing stuff like that every day. He yeah. started with a full beard. He went over one. He shaves it into a goatee. Punches that right, right? I mean, he walked on the stuff. clubhouse club. Everybody's bat until and he just locker to locker to locker to locker until he found the bat he liked. You know? right. No, he would change his batting glove every time. Yeah. Miss. Yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> okay, uh, it, to to wrap up. Give people uh, a quick sense of, of what you're doing now. You know, come, where are they now, JJ? Uh, we live uh, north of Dallas in Frisco. I do a little baseball facility there and um, run the Dallas Tigers teams in the north region there. Uh, we've got a soon-to-be senior and sophomore at Oklahoma State. Uh, my youngest is um, going to be a freshman in high school. So, And uh, Kelly and I are still together. We've been married for, oh gosh, I guess it's 23 years now. So... Uh, She's stuck with me ever since high school. Somehow, some way, I've survived. So um, just being back here is super special. I uh, come full circle because my kids grew up here as infants. My daughter was born here at Sky Ridge. So um, just being back and still one of the most beautiful stadiums in the league. Uh, great fans, just great people that um, you know that made us feel like a part of their family while we were here. So um, it's just it's amazing to be back. Yeah. Ubaldo, what you up to now? Where are you living? I live with my wife and three daughters. There's six, four, and two uh, in Miami. My parents live with us, too. Uh, right now, I'm just being a dad, raising my kids. Uh, I'm playing tennis. I play tennis every two or three times a week just to stay in shape. And I had really good surf because of my arms. So. <laughs> I bet you. I bet you. Not, not to mention you're almost 6'5", so that yeah, doesn't yeah. hurt either. Uh, I'm doing, uh, I'm investing in real estate. I'm buying an apartment and renting it out. That's how I'm getting income right now. So I'm just, I'm just happy to be there uh, seeing my kids grow. And then I thank God every day for the opportunity. And um I'm happy to be here back in Denver because I love this fan. Good deal. Best fan in baseball. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll hook you up with cargo. You can throw some PP. <laughs> Bradley, what are you up to? Uh, I live in uh, Texas as well. Um, probably 45 minutes to an hour from uh, JJ here out in Argyle. My daughter um, just graduated high school, going to Arkansas. She's not going to LSU. She's not following footsteps. But uh, uh, my son is getting ready for high school. Um, he plays baseball and 
Kim and I have been married. JJ puts me on the spot. We've got to do math here. I think, what, 21 years, I guess. Yeah. Um, Kim's put up with me for that long. So uh, coach baseball, coach Drake's team, um, his little select team. Um, I coach uh, private school baseball. It's on a year-by-year basis. I don't know how long I can do this or not. Um, but I do enjoy the kids and the baseball and, and all that. And uh, uh, kind of like Ubaldo, I do real estate stuff. Um, light industrial with my brother. He's runs a company in Fort Worth, so it makes it a little bit easier. But just like them, happy to raise a family, uh, happily married, and uh, being, being home for them. Yeah. Well, I, I know I speak for uh, for the fan base, which I never would do, but it's it's great to see all of you guys, and uh, I know it's going to conjure up great memories for uh, for fans who get to see this, and obviously get to see it at the yard. Good to see you guys. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for having us. Three good guys, too. Three all-time Rockies, and we'll have more of former Rockies throughout the summer. And it was it was particularly good to see Jason Jennings, Ubaldo, and Brad Hop not only find out what they're doing, where they are now, so to speak, but uh, how much they enjoyed their time as Rockies and how much they enjoy coming back and, and seeing all of you and uh, being fed at the ballpark. So good stuff. Before we get on out of there or out of here. Uh, Bruce Brown, no longer uh, a nugget. You saw this one coming. I mean, he was such an integral part of the championship run for the Denver Nuggets. And he had made, I think I read where it was, his first five years in the league made about $15 million. A lot of money. I get that. But he had the opportunity to really strike gold. And he signed a $45 million deal Guaranteed, All the NBA deals are guaranteed with Indiana. Had to go. And I know what he said at the parade, and I know what he said, as many players do who are going to be free agents in the immediate aftermath of, of winning a championship. I want to stay. I want to stick around. And they do. They're speaking from the heart. But the realities financially, once the champagne is poured and the beer is doused and the parade is over, the reality of what you can get paid is going to take precedent. And it should. It would for you. It would for me. If you were in the uh, world where you could make that kind of money, and you can say, well, you'd still get a lot of money playing for the Nuggets. Yes, but if you're going to make three times that amount, even if the first amount is large, three times that amount, you got to go sign it. If you don't, you're either foolish or very, very different than 99.999% of people. So good luck to Bruce Brown. It provides an opportunity for other players to step forward and fill those shoes. Guys like Christian Brown, who had a nice playoff run and will be a second-year player next year. So best to Bruce Brown, and we'll see uh, next autumn who steps forward uh, for the Nuggets as they begin their title defense. That'll do it for show 209 here on the little podcast. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. We appreciate you listening uh, each and every week, and we'll do it again in seven days. We've got the All-Star break coming up. Oh, congratulations to Elias Diaz. Pontificated on this uh, subject on television. Couldn't happen to a better guy, a nicer guy, a guy that's busted his ass for a long period of time. So at 32, he becomes the oldest Colorado Rocky to make the All-Star team. He also becomes 
was the first catcher in Rockies history to make the All-Star team. And I know every team gets an All-Star, but he was deserving regardless of that edict from Major League Baseball. Elias Diaz, an All-Star going to Seattle, thrilled for him. Again, we'll do it in seven days. Take care. Stay safe. I can't even speak anymore. That's why it's the end of the podcast. Stay safe, everyone. Be well.